Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we? Good. Good to see all of you here today on this Memorial Day weekend. Thanks so much for making church a part of your holiday weekend. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out right now. Let's turn to Genesis 4. Genesis 4 is where we're going to start today, and we are going to talk about the stronghold of anger. We're going to talk about the stronghold of anger today, and this this is how we're going to define anger. Anger is a strong emotional reaction of displeasure, often leading to plans for revenge or punishment. I'll say that again. This is what anger is. Anger is the strong emotional reaction of displeasure, often leading to plans for revenge or punishment. It is bitterness, it's hostility, it's rage. The varieties of anger um, are are pretty much endless. Some are mild, like uh, grumpiness, whereas others are very extreme, like a deep burning uh, wrath. We can shout in anger. We can cry and weep in anger. We can even smile in anger. Any parents ever smile in anger before? Like, I can't believe you just did that. You know what I'm talking about? Or we can uh, quietly plot our revenge in the corner by ourselves, silently and secretly. Anger is tremendously complex. The Russians have two different concepts, two different words for what we call anger. Uh, The Greeks, the ancient Greeks, uh, distinguished between quick bursts of temper and long, deep-seated wrath. Uh, The Germans have three different words for anger all of which sound very angry. Mandarin has five different words for anger, and biblical Hebrew has seven different words for anger. Anger is tremendously complex. And listen, sometimes we are justified in our anger. And God's Word says that not all anger is sinful, but but listen, we are just going to talk about sinful anger today because A, we just simply don't have enough time to talk about all of it, and B, more often than not, I think you'll agree with me, um, our anger is more often than not sinful, isn't it? Isn't our anger more often than not a sinful response to different situations that are going on in our lives? So here's our big idea today. Our big idea is this. I won't be free from my anger until I see the true source of my anger. I won't be free from my anger until I see the true source of my anger. And so today, I just want to keep it really simple. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at two different passages in God's Word, and then I'm going to walk us through a series of questions that we can ask ourselves when we evaluate past situations when we've been angry or when we're going through anger, and hopefully by God's grace, at the end of our time together this morning, we will all be better equipped to tear down the stronghold of anger in our lives. Does that sound good? That sound good? Awesome. All right, before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just want to commit this time to you. As we approach your word, Lord, we pray that we would be leaning into what your spirit would have for us right now. Uh, God, we pray that we would come to terms with the anger that's in our own hearts, and would you show us how to deal with that in a way that is um, obedient and um, uh, breaks the cycle of anger that so many of us have experienced in our relationships and in our lives. We commit this time to you. Uh, We're so grateful for you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Genesis 4, uh, starting in uh, verse 1, follow along with me. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. 
And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And so what's going on here? Well, Cain is a farmer, and Abel is a shepherd, and at the end of their year of work, what they're doing is they're bringing to God an offering of gratitude for all that he's provided them. And their offerings are with respect to their respective provisions. And so how does God respond to these offerings? Well, look at the end of verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. The KJV says that the Lord had respect for Abel's offering. The New English translation says that God was pleased with Abel's offering. The New Living Translation says that the Lord accepted Abel's offering. And so why did God accept Abel's and not Cain's? Why was God pleased with Abel's offering and not Cain's? Well, I think if we just look at the passage at face value, we see a difference in the nature of their offerings. We see that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, whereas Abel brought of the, what does it say, the firstborn, you can circle that, the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. So at face value, we see a difference in the nature of their offerings. And it seems like Abel's expresses more devotion than Cain's. But I also think that the gifts that we offer God are more than just about the gifts themselves and the substance and the amount. And one of the best insights we have into this passage is actually found in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 4. The writer of Hebrews says this, by faith, everyone say by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And so listen, at no point in God's word does it ever say that just the mere act of offering something to God as a gift is simply acceptable, like it automatically works like magic, as if God doesn't care about our hearts or our faith or our love. God doesn't just want us showing up and going through the motions whether that be here at worship or serving God or in small group or in our marriage or at work or in parenting, God deeply cares about our hearts, our devotion, our faith. He wants our hearts. He wanted Cain's heart, and for whatever reason, he didn't have Cain's heart. He didn't have it. So how does Cain respond to this? Look at the end of verse 5. So Cain was very, what does it say there? He was very what? Angry. He was angry, and his face fell. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And so what's Cain's response? Cain's response is one of anger. He gets angry. He begins to give himself over to, what did we call it at the very beginning? He begins to give himself over to this strong emotional reaction of displeasure that often leads to plans of revenge 
or punishment. And listen, God sees this in Cain's heart. He sees this response of sinful anger rising up in Cain's heart, and he loves Cain deeply, and he begins to counsel Cain and give him advice and wisdom, and he says, Cain, you have to stop going down this path. You have to turn it around right now. In your anger, you are going to end up in a very, very destructive place. Stop, turn around, and would we take heed of this warning ourselves in this very moment that if we do not get our sinful anger under control in our hearts and respond in a way that God would want us to respond in humility and repentance and faith, it is going to lead us down a tremendously destructive path. I have experienced the destructive force of anger in my life. I'm sure you have as well. I'm sure we've all witnessed it play out in other people's lives. Anger can be tremendously destructive, can destroy our lives. And look at what it does to Cain's. Look at verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Does, 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 does Cain take heed to the warning and counsel that God gave him? No. He gives himself over to his sinful anger and he murders his brother, his lifelong friend. He grew up with this man. He probably played games with him as a kid, learned how to hunt with him, learned how to forge the wilderness for, for supplies and for food. And, and, and in this moment of jealous rage, he, he, he rises up against his brother and he kills him. He destroys him. This is the destructive power that anger can have in our lives. Do you see the destructive power, the potential that anger has to wreak havoc in your life? Do you see it? And you might be like, well, I, I would never get so angry so as to murder someone. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But do you see, do you see it? Do you see the destructive power of anger and how important it is to tear down this stronghold in our lives? How do, how do we do that, though? How do we tear down this stronghold of anger that I think is so prevalent in so many of our hearts? How do we do this? Well, like I said, here's how I want to do it. I want, want to spend some time in God's Word, but I also want to go through a few questions, eight questions, actually. Then They're pulled from this book right here called Good and Angry. Good and Angry is a book by David Powlison, and he walks through eight questions at a different portion in this book. And listen, if you find that you are struggling with bitterness, that you're struggling with anger and frustration, that this isn't new to you, that you're like, yeah, like you walked in here and you saw we were talking about anger and you were like, ding, here's my thing. Like, listen, I would highly encourage you to purchase this book because not only will it deal with anger in a more nuanced way than we'll be able to, but it'll also help us to understand the varying circumstances where anger is actually a justified response and how we can respond constructively in our anger. I'd highly encourage you to get this book and the eight questions we're about to go through are drawn from this book. And these questions are going to help us to evaluate and, and, and learn from and be able to respond in a constructive and obedient way to situations that provoke our anger. And so here's the first question we have to ask ourselves when we find ourselves getting angry. It's this, what's my situation? What's my situation? We have to ask ourselves questions like, when did I get angry? What was going on? What stirred up the irritation in my heart? Who, who 
was I mad at? And these are important questions to ask ourselves. Listen, because anger always has an occasion. Anger is provoked by something. Our anger is always about something or someone. Our anger doesn't just manifest itself out of thin air. Cain's anger in this story did not just show up out of nowhere. Cain was in a specific situation that provoked this response. What was Cain's situation? What was going on? He had just worked hard all year. And he went to offer God an offering from his work as a farmer. What did Cain expect to happen in that moment? He expected probably to be accepted in that moment. But what happened? He wasn't accepted. And who was accepted? His younger brother. That had to sting in that moment, right? When the younger brother gets the attaboy, but not you. This was Cain's situation. And listen, this is the exact same place that we need to start in our anger. We need to ask ourselves, what's my situation? What's going on? And listen, as we answer this question, our answers shouldn't have to deal with who we are or our response. This simply describes the, the what and, and the how and the where and the when about our situation. Because listen, your situation is going to demand a response because you're a human being. You're not a tree. You're not a rock. You have to respond in some way. What is the situation? Answering this question simply locates you. What is my situation? But here's the next question we have to ask ourselves. How do I react? How do I react in that situation? And the answer to this question brings to light the many different ways that anger shows up and manifests itself in our lives. We need to ask ourselves questions like, what's go what goes on in my mind when I encounter the situation? When that person cuts you off on the highway, uh, do you mentally curse them out? When someone says something derogatory to you at work, do you rehearse all the different ways that you can get back at that person in your mind? What goes on in your mind when you get angry? What goes on physically when you get angry? Do you find that you get tense, that your heart begins to pound, that the adrenaline begins to surge through your body? Our bodies go into overdrive when we get angry. How about this one? What happens emotionally for you? What goes on emotionally? Your emotions, do they begin to rise up and overwhelm you internally? Do you find yourself trapped by those emotions? And the longer you sit there, the worse it gets. Emotions can become so powerful when we're angry. How about our actions? What do you actually do? Listen, anger rarely keeps a low profile, right? Anger does things. Anger says things. What do you do when you're driving on 31 and someone's going the actual speed limit in the left-hand lane? Do you zoom up behind him and say, buddy, you better get out of the way? What happens when you're running late for an appointment or you're behind on a project? What do you do? How do you begin to speak to others? How do you begin to act? How do I react to the situation? What was Cain's initial reaction? How did Cain respond? The passage says that his face fell. Even before he murdered his brother, his face fell. God's word says that he was dejected. Other translations say that he, he sulked. He was saddened. He was upset. Cain's initial reaction was that he threw a pity party for himself. 
So the first two questions, what's going on? What are my circumstances? The second question, how do I react? Here's the third question. What are my motives? What are my motives? This moves beyond the what, the where, the how, and moves into the why. Why do I get angry? Why do you get angry? And this is the million-dollar question because for many of us, the way we answer this question is going to determine whether we continue to stay angry or whether we talk ourselves down into a superficial calm or, listen, we begin to operate in a way that is in faith and obedience and constructively toward what God would want for us. And, and listen here, the easy answer to question three is to point back at all the answers in question one. Why do I get angry? Well, look at what happened in question one. Look at what my wife said to me. Look at what happened at my workplace. This is why I got angry. But listen, while that is a plausible answer to question three, it's not a valid answer. It's not a valid answer. Question one simply answers the when and the where and the whom. Question three gets at the why. What are my motives? Why do I get angry? It doesn't look at your circumstances. It looks at your heart. And this is where this process usually breaks down because either we don't want to do this or we don't simply know how. Listen, whether it's Cain in Genesis 4 or you stuck in traffic or you in a contentious marriage in your home or in a tough workplace environment, listen, you get sinfully angry because of you. What's the big idea? I won't be free from my anger until I see the true source of my anger. Our motives decide the direction we'll go when we encounter situations that provoke a response like sinful anger. Our expectations get us going. Cain wanted to be accepted. Whatever his brother Abel got, that's exactly what Cain wanted. And so listen, Cain's anger was not driven by his circumstances. It was not driven by God's response. It was not driven by Abel's success. Cain's anger was driven by his own heart. His response of sinful anger was on him. So where's the source of our sinful anger? Everyone point to where the source of their sinful anger is right now. It's in us. It's in me. It's in my heart. And so listen, you have to ask yourself, what are my motives? What controls me? What directs me? And this is a very difficult thing to get to the bottom of. So here are a few questions we can ask ourselves when trying to decipher. What are, what are my motives? Ask our, we need to ask ourselves these questions. What do I want? What did I want in that situation? In my moment of anger, I wanted blank. When this particular desire gets frustrated, I get furious. That's what happens here. Here's another question we need to ask ourselves. What did I believe I need? What do I believe I need? Not actually what do I need, but what do I believe I need? I need blank. And listen, if you believe that you absolutely must have something, you are going to get frustrated and angry when you don't have that thing. What do I most fear? I fear blank. Is it being low on money? Is it being sick? Is it losing status or reputation at home or in your workplace? Is it not having control? What do I fear? 
What do I most love? I love blank with all my heart. Oftentimes when we go through situations that provoke anger, it reveals what we really cherish and what we're passionate about and what we love. And one more question, what do I hope for and what do I dream for? Life will only be good if blank happens. Anger reveals to us the things that we hope and dream for, not just long-term big picture, but also day to day. And so to review, questions one and two are, are pretty basic, pretty easy. But a different thing happens when we get to question three. We kind of rewrite the script and go behind the curtain a little bit to get at the motives, to get at the why of our anger. And this is so difficult because our heart can be wicked and deceitful. And listen, oftentimes I'd encourage you to invite a friend, a counselor, a, a pastor, your spouse to help you answer these questions. The motives, the, the why behind my anger. Now, the fourth question kind of zooms back out and helps us to understand the broader context of our anger and the implications and the consequences of our anger, and it's this. What are the consequences? What are the consequences of my anger? How does my sinful anger and my response affect my children? How does it affect my spouse? How does it affect my friendship, my workplace, my coworkers? Anger has consequences. And listen, oftentimes, anger brings about more anger. It creates this vicious feedback loop and this cycle of anger and more anger and more anger. Do you want to know why? Because we reap what we sow. And if I sow anger into my marriage, I'm going to reap more anger. If you sow anger into your friendships, you are going to reap more anger. If you sow anger into your parenting, you are going to reap more anger. You see, this is exactly what Cain's anger did. What were the consequences of Cain's anger? Beyond him just simply murdering his brother, Cain's anger had far-reaching consequences beyond his life. If you read through the rest of Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 and 6 and 7, you see that Cain's anger perpetuated this cycle of violence and anger and murder to the point where it required an epic flood to quench the blood, bloodthirst that became pervasive in all of humanity. Cain's anger had far-reaching consequences beyond his own relationship. And in the same way, our anger has devastating consequences in our lives beyond even what we might know or see. And you might say, well, my anger, again, is never so bad as to the point where I would want to kill someone. It would have those sorts of devastating consequences in my life. Well, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is the second passage I want us to look at this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Let's go ahead and look there. And let's see what Jesus has to say about our anger. Matthew 5, verse 21. Jesus says this. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And so we get this, right? Like, murder's bad. And Jesus is talking about the Ten Commandments and the Israelites, and he's talking about the Sixth Commandment in Exodus 20, 13 that prohibits premeditated murder. And everyone listening to Jesus at this moment would be like, yeah, totally, I totally get that. But Jesus is using this formula in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you have heard that it was said, and then he says, but I say to you. And so in verse 22, we get that part. Look at verse 22. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is, and what's the next word there? Everyone who is what? Angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What's going on here? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is getting pretty serious about anger here. Jesus is equating the seriousness and consequence of anger with murder. Do you see that here? That the person who is angry will be liable to the hell of fire. This is how destructive and how serious anger is. And anger here is showing up not in murder, but in the words from the angry person. He's disparaging the person he's angry with. He's calling him a fool. He's he's dragging this person's name through the mud. He's slandering him. He's gossiping about him. And Jesus is saying, this is awful. Take your anger as serious as murder. He's explicitly condemning them. And look at verse 23, how it's to be resolved. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you are coming to church to worship, And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last And so Jesus here gives a right and constructive way to deal with anger, and that is this, that if you are the person who got angry and you lashed out in your sinful anger, it is on you to make things right, to seek out reconciliation and restoration. But this is a sermon about anger and not conflict resolution. So what I want us to basically see here, though, is, is, is that Jesus takes sinful anger very seriously. And you might not get so angry that you actually murder someone, but Jesus says that if you are angry with your spouse, if you are angry with your child or friend or a coworker or the person who is driving slowly in front of you, and you are angry in such a way that you sin against them, that you've essentially murdered them in your heart, And Cain murdered his brother Abel in his heart long before he ever did that, literally. And so listen, back to the questions. The first four questions help us to understand and diagnose and come to terms with the problem of our anger. But these next four questions that I want us to work through help us to seek out how we can rightly understand the situations we go through. That we can see what is true. That we can reach out to God for help. And that we can begin to respond in a constructive way in faith and obedience and break down the stronghold and the cycles of anger that are all too pervasive in our relationships. And so here's the fifth question we have to ask ourselves. It's this. What is true? What is true? And not some vague sense like what is true in general, but what is true about what I'm going through right now? What does God's word say about my circumstances? What does God's word say about how I feel about it and how I think about it? What does God's word say about my fear and my motives? And if you're like, I have no idea what God's word says about it, then listen, that's where you need to start. That's why reading and, 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 and digesting and, and taking in God's word every single day is of the utmost importance in our lives because it shapes our reality as we submit ourselves to it. The Holy Spirit alters our understanding of the hardships that we walk through. 
And not everything we read every day is going to seem pressingly applicable to us. But if we are not in God's word every day, our reality is shaped by our own perception and our own thoughts and our own feelings. And we begin to um, become the arbiters of justice in our lives. And we validate our anger so often as a result. And we need to submit ourselves to God's word and learn what it has to say about how we feel about things and our circumstances and our situations. And if you don't know where to start, let me tell you exactly where you can start this week. Open up your Bibles and turn to Psalm 23 this week, every day, multiple times a day. Psalm 23. It's super short, and I know you can do it, but, but begin to read it and allow the realities of Psalm 23 uh, to shape your understanding of who God is and, and who you are and your circumstances and your situation. Listen, I had to do that this week. In my Bible reading plan, I, I was reading First Chronicles, and I had a really bad day the day before, and I woke up still feeling that bad day, and I'm in First Chronicles, and I'm like, God, this is so boring. I'm just being honest with you. I was like, how is this going to help me? And I I turned over to Psalm 23 because I needed, listen, I needed to be reminded of who my God was, that he was for me, that he's active in my life, that he is present. And listen, I know that so many of us need that reminder when we encounter the hardships in our lives. Go to Psalm 23 this week. Read it again and again, that God is your good shepherd and that he is with you even in the valley of the shadow of death, and that his rod and staff comfort you. Would you write these things out and remind yourselves about what is true about your God and about you and your circumstances? This is the beginning of the way out of anger. The next question is this, how do I turn to God for help? How do I turn to God for help? Once I'm reminded of who God really is, and my eyes are back on him instead of myself and my circumstances and my situation, I need to turn to God for help. Listen, how often in our anger do we talk to the wrong person about our anger? We do it all the time, right? Angry people always talk to the wrong people in their anger. Uh, We talk to ourselves in our anger. And, and we play the thing we're angry about in our minds over and over again, and we chew on it, and it just fuels our anger and our frustration. We talk to the person that we're actually angry about, and we vent our frustration in a sinful way. Listen, we talk to other people about our anger in such a way where we gossip and slander about those people, and that's how we process our anger. There is one person that we should be talking to about our anger right off the bat, and that's God. We need to go to God with our anger, especially in light of what we know about him to be true as we answer that fifth question. We need to go to God with our anger. Because as we begin to see who God is and and see our hearts for what they really are, what we begin to realize is that we don't need God to fix that person. We don't need God to fix that situation. We need God to fix our own hearts. That we need mercy. That we are broken. We are in need of his fixing and his repair in our own souls as we so often respond sinfully to the situations around us. So we turn to God for help. How do we do this? Well, for many of us, I think this is difficult. We don't even, again, know where to begin. And so in this book, Good and Angry, uh, David Powelson provides a template, and it looks like this. It's not in your notes or anything, but maybe would we work through this 
And, and maybe even now you can pull out your phones and take a picture of this if it would be helpful for you to walk through something like this and talk to God and say, God, you are blank. You are good. You are kind. You are powerful. You care about me. And I'm facing this impossible situation right now. And you promised to carry me through. And we, as we work through these things and go to God, would we be reminded of his kindness, that he is active and that he is with us and that he is for us? Would we talk to the right person about our anger? Would we go to God with our anger in order to start applying the truths that we encounter in question five? We need to go to God and talk to him. Question seven, two more to go. How could I respond constructively in this situation? In the situation that typically provokes sinful anger, how could I respond constructively? And as we begin to see that we are the actual sources of our own sinful anger, that it's on us and not our circumstances, and as we begin to recognize that we are the ones that actually need fixing more than our circumstances or that person, here's what ends up happening in our humility that the Lord begins to cultivate in our hearts. Um, the Holy Spirit begins to guide us and lead us in such a way where he leads us to these counterintuitive acts of obedience that begin to break the cycle of anger. You see, anytime we encounter sin in this world, it, it brings about chaos. And sin brings about chaos. And when we get anger, angry and respond in sinful anger, we bring more chaos into our relationships, more chaos into our families, more chaos into our workplaces. But when we begin to respond in, in a way antithetical to anger, um, it breaks that cycle of chaos and brings peace and joy and contentment and kindness and love into the situation. Remember earlier we talked that you reap what you sow, and when you sow anger, you're going to reap anger. Listen, when you sow love and kindness and forgiveness and reconciliation into your relationships, you will reap those very things. This is what God calls us to do. As followers of Jesus, listen, our way of living is different than and better than the way of the world. We are called to a better and different way, a way that brings life and peace and, and, and order into this world. And that brings us to the last question, it's this. What are the consequences of faith and obedience? What are the consequences of faith and obedience? And we sort of gave this one away a little bit, but ultimately, when we're faithful and obedient to, to do what God calls us to do, even in situations that would provoke our sinful anger, that frustrate us and, 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 and make us grow angry and upset, when we respond the way God wants us to respond, we become a force for good and God's glory and, and, and not, not evil and not destruction. Listen, godliness does not always guarantee uh, that the person is going to respond the way we want them to respond. It, it doesn't mean that our, our situation is going to be magically fixed, but listen, when we respond the way God wants us to respond, it'll always lead to some greater good and his glory. We've had a pretty tough year this past year, haven't we? It's been a pretty difficult year. And I think over this past year, there has been a lot to be frustrated about, a lot to be angry about, a lot to fight over. There's been a lot to fight over, right? A lot of fighting going on in families, a lot of fighting going on in friendships, a lot of fighting going on on Facebook, right? Just everywhere, frustration and anger. And, you know, for me, I would say 
This has probably been like the low-lying stronghold of my heart over the last year. Just the sense of anger and frustration and this preparing this message has been tremendously convicting and eye-opening and helpful just to deal with and process the anger in my heart. And as I was wrestling with, with these passages and, and wrestling with Matthew 5 and Jesus and his teaching on anger and his thoughts on anger, I couldn't help but think of, of like all the ways that, that Jesus could have been provoked to sinful anger. Think about his life with me for a second. Think about his disciples and how like his disciples just never seemed to get it. And how often that could have provoked him to sinful anger about the people that were following him. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. And the, the, the many enemies that Jesus had while he was here on earth. And, and, and how they were always trying to tear him down and take him down. And how that could have provoked him to sinful anger. Just the variety of ways that he was completely and totally misunderstood. I think if there's one thing we really hate and get frustrated by, it's like being misunderstood. None of us want to be misunderstood. All these ways that could have provoked Jesus to sinful anger, and yet he never got sinfully angry. And Jesus truly is the only person to whom injustice, like pure injustice, was ever committed against. The only sinless man in all of history uh, was beaten and tortured and abused and received the most shameful, unjust treatment all of us encounter injustice in various forms. That's what, that's what the center of our anger is. We get angry when something um, unjust happens to us and we feel like something isn't fair and something isn't right. But for Jesus, something absolutely wasn't right. He was sinless and yet he died a sinner's death on a cross. He was sinless and yet he took upon himself the wrath that you and I all deserved. And yet he didn't respond in a sinfully angry way, not once, not ever. In fact, Peter writes this in 1 Peter. He says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, listen, when he reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. This is the way of the follower of Jesus Christ to follow after him. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see, Jesus' obedience in our place, his decision to do the difficult counterintuitive thing in the face of injustice is the very reason we can have a relationship with God. It's the very reason that we can be friends with God. It's the very reason that we can be dead to sin and alive to this beautiful new way of living. Because in the face of injustice, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And so listen, as we face injustice, as we face unfair circumstances, as we face situations that would provoke us to sinful anger, would we remember the great deep love that Jesus has for us? And then in the face of injustice, he entrusted himself to the one who judges, judges justly. And would we do the same? Would we break that cycle of anger? Would we break that stronghold of anger and be agents of love to those around us and in our relationships? Let's pray.
Lord, we can be so angry at times. Your word says that um, you have to be provoked to anger. You are a God of, of steadfast love. You are a God of mercy and compassion and kindness. That is your disposition toward us. And you have to be provoked to anger. Lord, we are the exact opposite. Our natural disposition is one of frustration and bitterness and hostility and anger, and we have to be provoked to love. And Jesus, your son, lived in such a way, Lord, where he became our perfect sacrifice. And, and, and God, we, we look to that and we want to rest in that in this moment. And we pray, Lord, that the power of, of his death and resurrection would be felt in our lives as, as the opposite begins to be true in our lives. We begin to be people who, who have to be provoked to anger and naturally given over to love for one another. A, a, a miraculous reality only possible by the work of your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be joyfully repentant right now, turning away from sinful anger and turning toward love and reconciliation and, and, and seeing your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In our own relationships, in the simple everyday-to-day -day interactions we have with one another in this building and, and with people we're driving by on the road and in the grocery store and in our homes and in our workplaces, that we would be these agents of love and, and these sources of life, that everywhere we go, the, the reality and atmosphere would change because we are not given over to this stronghold of anger and vengeance and this bent toward uh, justice as if we could uh, bring it about in our own power, but, but we are people that entrust it to you and, and watch as, as your reality comes to bear in our lives, not by our own power, but by the power of the Spirit, God. We pray that that reality would be true in our lives, in our homes, in our church. We pray this in the power of Jesus. Amen.